Morning, everyone. Oh, I sound like Richie Benno there. Yeah, morning, everyone. Thank you, Tony. Uh, don't worry if you've never watched live cricket of yesteryear. It will mean nothing to you. Uh, I don't know which one I need yet. Let's get going. We'll find out. It'll become clear. Christmas, nearly here. It's going to be a weird one, right? Definitely is going to be a weird one. Um, I was, uh, I discovered, I read an article yesterday in the news, um, and it was about the number of Christmas songs that are already in the top 40. Who even knew there was still a top 40? It includes downloads now. Um, other than number one, uh, most of, there are something like 19 songs currently in the top 40 that are all old Christmas songs. In fact, number two right now is Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. Woo! Best Christmas song ever. Okay, so Nick thinks it's the best Christmas song ever. You just need to tell Ariana Grande to get off the top spot then. Um, but yes, and I think it's probably because people are just looking for some comfort. I think they're looking for just that feeling. I must admit, we got our lights and tree up a bit early this year. That was actually because we were meant to, <laughs> meant to do some filming um, of a Christmas greeting, uh, but we didn't do it in the end. But never mind, the tree's up, happy days. So we have taken a little break from uh, life coaching, and instead we are starting a three-week Christmas series, a mini Christmas series. And the theme for the three talks is visits. So next week, Nick is going to be looking uh, at the visits from the shepherds and the magi, wise men, kings, whatever you want to call them, to Jesus. The following week, I think it's me again, And we're looking at the ultimate visit of all, which is Jesus visiting planet Earth. Today, we are looking at visits made by angels, uh, particularly when it pertains to the Christmas story, and particularly looking at the angels visiting the shepherds. So we're going to come onto the story in a minute, and it's not like you don't know it. Even for people who have never been involved with church, everyone knows something of the uh, of the Christmas story. It's particularly amusing when you ask kids, particularly young kids, they get it all muddled. It's brilliant. It's like all the right bits, just not in the right order. So the theme today is visits by angels. And I just need to set a little bit of context because I know that we're, we're coming on to the story. You know the story. Everyone knows about the angels visiting the shepherds on the hillside. But one thing we need to understand here is Ever since the beginning of time, God knew that he was going to need to send a rescuer. And he was called the Messiah. That was, that was what his title was. Now, the Jewish people knew, the Israelites knew, that he was coming. And actually, as it happens, the Jews still, to this day, are still waiting for him to come. And one of the reasons for some of the confusion, is understanding. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. So prophecies are things that are spoken from God, always pertaining to the now or the future. Okay? And so, basically, these prophecies, these, these words were spoken about Jesus, about this Messiah. Hundreds, literally hundreds of prophetic words that were all fulfilled in Jesus. 
But he didn't really come in the way they were expecting. They were expecting a rescuer, and at that time, they were under Roman dominion. The Romans were not really a nice bunch, to be entirely honest, and the Jewish people were absolutely under the cosh. God had promised years before that the Israelites had a promised land, but he said, listen, the only way you're really going to stay in the promised land is you've got to follow me. You've got to keep my commands. You've got to keep your hearts warm towards me, keep affectionate towards me. If you don't, you will end up getting taken over by other people groups because you've stepped outside of my sphere of protection. God didn't use those words, my paraphrase. So the Israelites were waiting for some big rescuer to be raised up to come and rescue them, particularly from Roman rule. So something else, therefore, to understand is previous to this Christmas story, we'll call it the Christmas story, previous to this, there had been 400 years of silence from heaven. 400 years of silence. If you want the posh word, it's called the intertestamental period. You can have that for free. And it basically means the bit between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, heaven was silent. There was like no comms. Comms were down between heaven and earth. 400 years. Now, into this drops Gabriel. So we know a little bit about angels, and we'll come on to those in just a minute. But Gabriel is one of only two named angels. Gabriel and Michael, they're the only two named ones that we know of, at least, in the Bible. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands, but let's just stick with Gabriel a minute. So 400 years of silence, Gabriel drops in to see Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was a priest. So the Israelites, the Jews, they were split into 12 tribes. One of those tribes, their job was to be priests before God. Their job was to minister to God. Their job was to look after the temple. Everyone else, all the other 11 tribes, were given a plot of land. The 12th tribe, they weren't. They didn't have time to do the land. So God said, what we want everyone else to do is to give something of what you have into the tabernacle, temple, as it was by that point. And so this one tribe, they were utterly committed then to spending their time ministering to God. And Zechariah was in this tribe, and he had gone into the Holy of Holies. We talked about this last year. It's the place where they used to go in with a rope tied around their ankles so that if they died, they could be yanked out. One person, once a year only, was allowed in. That is how holy God is. It's not, um, oh, smite me, you mighty smiter. It's not God smiting someone. It's the intensity of his holiness. Thank goodness for Jesus. So, 400 years of silence, Gabriel drops in to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a baby. Zechariah says, I don't think I am. This is ridiculous. We're getting on in years, all this kind of thing. They've been barren. He says, no, you're going to have a baby and you're going to call it John. And John is going to basically be like the person who ushers in Jesus. 
first angelic visit. Then, Gabriel again, he's on a run. He's had 400 years with his feet up, right? He's on a run. He then goes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And Mary says, but I haven't even had sex yet. What? He says, no, the power of God will overshadow you and you will have a baby. Second visitation, we know that one. Third visit from the angel is you can imagine maybe that conversation between Joseph and Mary when Mary gets home and she's engaged to Joseph and she says, I'm pregnant, but I haven't been with anyone, it was God. Yeah, all right, Mary. Let me just smell your breath, checking for any alcohol. So Joseph was approached by an angel in a dream, always in a dream with Joseph. Approached by an angel in a dream. And that angel told him, she's on the level, she's good to go, she hasn't in any way gone behind your back, don't divorce her, marry her, this is of God. So just to clear up a couple of things about angels, they are not people who've died. Um, They are created beings who are there at God's bidding. It says back in the Psalms about God commands his angels concerning us to guard us in our ways. We don't hear a lot about them, and as we said, they're they're rarely named. They're definitely real, and they are in the supernatural realm. So we know that there's a realm that we can't see. Okay, I think many people, even if they don't necessarily believe in a God... Many people will say, well, I think there's something beyond what we can see. It's rare to see one, I have to admit, although according to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it says you should be very welcoming of strangers as you could be welcoming an angel and you don't even know. So I don't think they always come in with um, tinsel wrapped around a coat hanger um, and a repurposed bedsheet. I don't think that, you know, they, they can come in any guise. Now, the amazing thing is, is that if it comes to godly ranking, we are actually higher up than angels. Because we, if we've said yes to Jesus, we are sons and daughters. Angels are not sons and daughters. That's not to put angels down. It's to speak of the amazing gift that we have been given. So within the space of only about three years, having had 400 years of silence, six angelic appearances occur. So we're going to read about it now, finally, we've got there. There we go. When they, Mary and Joseph, arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labour, and there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough, since there was no available space in the upper room in the village. That night, in a field near Bethlehem, There were shepherds watching over their flocks. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God. And the shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid, good opening line, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. 
It is for everyone, everywhere. For today, in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord, Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by this miracle sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once, a vast number of glorious angels appeared. The very armies of heaven. And they all praised God, saying... Glory to God in the highest realms of heaven. For there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men, people. When the choir of angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go! Let's hurry and find this word that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they ran into the village and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what had just happened. Everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were told. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. The shepherds returned to their flocks ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified him for all they had heard and seen for themselves, just as the angel had said. We've heard it like so many times. We know it. But this is nuts. I don't know when you last had an angelic visitation followed by the angelic choir, full backing, who turn up in awesome harmony. Like that would have been the most phenomenal sound ever. This is, this is not normal stuff particularly. So we're going to have a quick look here. Now, it's very easy in the Christmas story to get caught up on the wrong things. So I, I do quite like watching the odd police program, um, particularly when they have to break a door down and go in. And one of the things they do when they are searching the building, um, a house or whatever it is they're searching, they will quickly look in a room, and if there's no one in there, they shout what? Clear. They say, clear, like that. Normally much louder than that. Um, and they shriek it out, etc., partly to freak out whoever it is they're coming for and make it clear, everything else. Anyway, so this is what we have to do with this passage. We have to be willing to go in, see certain things in a room and think, no, I'm not going to get distracted. You know, you never see a police officer in these things. If they do, they obviously cut it from the film where he goes in, looks in a room, goes into the lounge and then forgets to say clear because there's something on telly that he really likes and just gets totally distracted. No, you have to stay focused. They are in there to find the person or people. And it's the same for this. You're in the Christmas story to find the person. So as much as there are angels and angels are great and as much as there are shepherds and shepherds rock and all that stuff, it's all about Jesus. I was trying to explain to some of the guys here last night. It's much like pointing. When you point at something, if you do that with a dog and you point at something, where does the dog look? your finger because the dog hasn't got the hang of looking on to see the thing is that you're pointing at you need to go and sit over there and the dog will just stare at you like looking thinking you must have food in your hand so we must not get distracted i mean was it a star or was it a spotlight from heaven how many wise men again i mean were there actually donkeys gently cooing or whatever they do in the corner did shepherds really wear tea towels i mean there's so many of these things like a lot of these things we just don't know. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. 
Don't forget, every time we read the Bible, we are reading for God to reveal more of himself. What do we learn about the Father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit as we read this well-known Christmas story? So let's deal with a couple of things. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor. We know they'd have to travel to Bethlehem for a census. Um, And that was Joseph's hometown. That's why they had to travel there from Nazareth. Mary went into labor and there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough since there was no available space in any upper room in the village. Okay, stable or not stable? Let's just deal with this one one straight away. They probably, 99% definitely, were not born in a wooden stable with lots of hay and straw and a spotlight and donkeys. I'm so sorry if I've just burst your Christmas nativity bubble, but it wouldn't have been like that. It was more likely a room, maybe a, a, like a, a, a chiselled out room in, a, in either the wall, or more likely even than that was a downstairs room in a house. Now people lived upstairs and really the downstairs was for the animals. And yes, the Bible says there was no available space in any upper room in the village, so therefore, more than likely, they went into the sort of lower room. Think of it as like a townhouse with a garage at the bottom, without animals. Anyway, that bit, you know what I mean, that bit at the bottom. It's like that, more like that. So, what is significant is not whether there were animals there. What is significant is this line. Wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough. This is significant. And to try and understand why this is significant, we need to go back in time a few thousand years to this passage here. Apologies, it's lots of words. I'll read it out to you. This is from the book of Exodus. So we've now gone back thousands of years, right almost to the very beginning of the Old Testament. And this is Moses. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both the sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean again? Then tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. What, how, what's this got to do at all with the Christmas story? All is about to become clear. This Passover lamb was to be about a year old, and without defect or blemish. If you were going to have to make a sacrifice to God, which is basically what would happen in the Old Testament, we haven't got time to go into why. If you were going to, you couldn't wait to, let, to find the sheep that had the, 
wonky back leg and, you know, half its fur was missing, could only see with one eye and all that kind of thing. Nicknamed Lucky, that one. It, you, it couldn't be that one that you then sacrificed to God. Because God would say, why are you giving me your, your knock-off dodgy ones? I'm worth more than that. This is all as a precursor to Jesus. So the blood of this lamb, these Passover lambs, was sacrificed once, I think it was once a year, and ultimately it was sacrificed to thank God for bringing life to his people. So, the Passover lamb. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Strips of cloth was not unusual, particularly, but the feeding cloth was. See, this is the thing, and this is where this links so beautifully into what God said all the way back in Exodus. It's very likely, although not proven, that the shepherds were out at a place called Migdal Eder, which is the Tower of the Flock. This tower is mentioned, actually, thousands of years before even before that bit we just read from Exodus. The lower floor of this tower is where expectant ewes would be brought whose lambs were going to be reared as the Passover lamb. They would bring them indoors. They were laid in mangers and wrapped in strips of cloth. So that they wouldn't get any blemishes on them. So here are shepherds who get this. This is their job. They know this. And they're being told, a rescuer has just been born. Go into Bethlehem. The way you will recognize this rescuer, it is looking like, exactly like, one of your Passover lambs. And Jesus is the lamb who ultimately became the ultimate sacrifice and took away the sin of the world. Isn't that, like, amazing? So what does this show about Father God? And this, I believe, is what it shows. Thousands of years before, we don't quite know when Garden of Eden and all that stuff happened. We don't quite know the time frame. And again, that's one of those times when you walk in the room, shout clear, walk out. Don't worry. The point is this. God had a plan for mankind's redemption all those years before. Thousands of years before. He had a plan. I love the fact that even though I find it hard at times, I love the fact that all that time ago, God had already put a plan in motion for something that wouldn't be seen for thousands of years. So many generations of people came and said, God, where are you? Why do we live under this? And God said, I've got a plan. I'm working on my plan. But these things take time. So why didn't, why didn't he just send Jesus quicker? Well, I think one of the main reasons is this. We need to realise our hopeless condition without Jesus. You don't get very hungry if it's only five minutes since you last ate. 
There is a period of time. We love the outcome. God is really into process. It can be a bit frustrating. He is really into process. We needed to realise our hopeless condition without Jesus, our desperate need to be rescued. In all those years that people moaned and suffered under oppression, difficulty, trial, tribulation, God was already on a plan. He already had it in hand. He said, I know that you are going to need the ultimate sacrifice, that you won't be covered by the blood of a lamb by killing a lamb and wiping it on a door. You'll be, ca- you'll be covered by the blood of the ultimate lamb who paid the ultimate price and died in our place. Thank goodness that things have got less bloodthirsty and we don't literally have to wipe ourselves in blood. But the thing is, He is like this with us. So I don't know what difficulty you're in today. I've got no idea what you're going through. I know some of the difficulties the world's in. I mean, it comes to something when when Brexit is only about fifth on the list of the news. You know there's got to be a pandemic, right? And I don't know what's going on for you. I don't know what fears you're living with. I don't know what terrifies you. I don't know what shame you live with. I've got absolutely no idea. I don't know what financial difficulty you might be in right now. I don't know what temptation you might be really struggling with right now. I've got no idea. But I do know this. Whatever you're in right now, please don't think God hasn't got a plan. But you don't understand, Chris. He's just been quiet for ages. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. And the chances are he's been working on it since before you were even born. He knows. The wonderful thing about God, as we read this passage, we can see God is never out of options. Whatever you're going through, however long you've been going through what you're going through, it's never the case that you say to God, God, please, and God says, I'm out. I'm out. I don't don't know. Never. Never. I can promise you this. Absolutely, hand on heart, promise you this. Whatever you're in right now, God is working on a creative and redemptive solution. So redemptive means to redeem it, to buy it back. It says further back in the Old Testament, God will restore the years the locusts have eaten. He never says, well, that's the best I can do. Sorry. If you've ever seen seen extreme home makeover in America, if God did home makeovers, it would be like that. It's like exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. He is never out of options. He has a plan already at work for whatever it is you're going through. All he needs from us. He says, just hop on board. Let's just cooperate. Come with me. I've got this. And as we see in the Christmas story here, for years, thousands of years before, God's saying, I've got this. I've got this. 
Let's stand. Even if you're at home, let's stand. We're going to pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just come. We've known you here already this morning. Just come afresh. God, you are a God with a plan. Right now, whether you're at home watching or you're in the room watching, think of the biggest problem that you feel like you've got. If it's a broken nail, you need to go deeper. But just think of what, like the most complex, messy, seemingly impossible situation. Just hold that thought in your head. And hear God say, I've got a plan. I'm already working on a plan. I started working on this plan before you even got this problem. Thank you, God. Thank you. Let's just stay in this place a moment. Just let God speak to you. I think, um, I think, I wonder if God is saying, I mean, it's easy to pick out someone, you know, say, oh, someone in here has got financial difficulties and he's always, in a room like this, there's always someone who's got financial difficulties. But I think there's someone or, or people who have almost seen Christmas as the last blowout and then they, in January they're saying, I've got no idea how we're actually going to manage. Just no idea at all. And we're not going to ask you to put your, your hand up or anything. Or maybe you're at home. But God says... I'm on it. You haven't caught me out. I'm working on a plan. Maybe there's someone who's got a medical issue and they've been to the doctors and the doctors have, as much as they do an amazing job, maybe they have got to the point of shrugging their shoulders and saying, we don't know. We've reached the end of our knowledge. And God says, I'm on it. I'm working on a plan. I knew you would need this moment before you even got ill. We always love to give people the opportunity if they've never said yes to Jesus before. And you think, yeah, I want to be in that relationship. I want to know him. Then we do encourage you, um, if you're in the room, we would say to you, please just pop your hand up right now, only that we'd just love to come and pray for you. So we'll just give you a moment to do that if you would like to. If you feel butterflies turning over and everything, it may well be that you need to put your hand up. And equally at home, if you've never said yes to him, don't miss this moment. He came at Christmas, slightly giving away the talk in two weeks' time, but he came at Christmas for you and for me. So if anyone in the room is saying yes, then come and find one of us at the end. And if you're online and you've said yes, then do ask for some prayer. If you hop over onto church online, 
the link will come up. Click on that and then ask for prayer. Father God, you are amazing. And the more we learn about you, the more that you reveal yourself to us, the more we are fascinated and the more we love you. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.